Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. History is an illness which we must try to cure. I'm paraphrasing James Joyce, who said that history is a nightmare from which I am trying to wake. But history as illness, with different symptoms, diagnoses, treatments, researchers, tools and doctors, is, I think, an almost perfect metaphor for doing history in a completely new way. It's a complaint I have, having gone through a BA and an MA in history, and really it's the purpose and modus operandi of this channel, that we need no less than a revolution in historical thinking. Because the way we think about the past, the way it's been taught to us, the way we approach it culturally, societally, politically, is not only wrong, it's limiting us. It defines and restricts our future. George Orwell knew this when he said that who controls the past controls the future, who controls the present controls the past. Traditionally, the gatekeepers, the establishment, the status quo, have all tried to propagate this idea of history being something out there and back there out there in statues, books, films, media, and back there as something distinct from the past, something separate, something almost dry and static and dead, something that has no bearing on our lives in the present. The French philosopher Pierre Bourdieu said that in each of us, in varying proportions, there is part of yesterday's man. It's yesterday's man that inevitably predominates in us. Since the present amounts to little compared with the long past in the course of which we were formed, the Belgian writer Luc Sant said that every human being is an archaeological site. 
And James Baldwin said that history is not the past, it's the present. We carry our history with us. We are our history. In other words, we live in symbiosis with history, as if it's part of our bodies and minds. We have a historical DNA and its genealogy. And like DNA, history has provided us with possibilities and defects, skills and illnesses. It opens and closes horizons, routes, pathways. Bourdieu, interested in what makes up our historical DNA, said that we had bundles of habits that we inherit from our cultural and social life, what he called our habitus, our predispositions, our tendencies, propensities, inclinations to do things in certain ways. We have cultural attitudes, beliefs and sensibilities. What we like, how we speak, what we do, is not just about personality. Our personalities are moulded from the raw materials of society. History opens and closes the possibilities that we all have. Those that understand history understand the moves that might be made. Let me give you a real example. Nietzsche saw that Christian values were a guide to life that had a history, that values like compassion or selflessness or the foregoing of material goods weren't just universal and God-given, but had a history that made them seem like they were universal and God-given. He wondered if, if you looked into their history, you might find issues and mistakes that injure us in the present, that contributed to a kind of social illness. Nietzsche asked whether regressive traits might be found lurking in our definitions of good, poisons, narcotics he called them, so that the present lived at the expense of the future. In other words, it might be that the way we do things in the present, shaped by history, restricts our future possibilities. The French philosopher Michel Foucault saw this literally. He saw that the body was, quote, totally imprinted by history. He said that we believe that the body obeys the exclusive laws of physiology and that it escapes the influence of history, but this too is false. The body is moulded by a great many distinct regimes. It's broken down by the rhythms of work, rest and holidays. It's poisoned by food or values, through eating habits or moral laws. It constructs resistances too. Social conventions, schooling, the shape of media, cultural trends, they all produce habits of the body. Everything we do, what we eat, where we shop, how we interact and think, our political and cultural conversations emerge from history. Which leads to a question. How do we know which of them are good and which others might need updating? Let's start then from a provocative assumption. We're all ill. 
We all have aches and pains, issues and impediments, habits that help and habits that hinder. Sometimes the harmful ones cause us real physical pain, sometimes mental anguish, and sometimes they're asymptomatic too. We're all historians. We all take an impediment that we have, dig through our past experience, seek out new solutions and try through understanding the world to make our lives better. The starting point is always selecting a symptom. The historian E.H. Carr said that when the historian begins their work, they start by choosing their facts like fish from a fishmonger's slab, ready to cook up into a historical narrative. But, he points out importantly, the facts speak only when the historian calls on them. So when do we call upon them? When do we knock on history's door? What motivates us and what do we hope to find inside that door? Well, we knock on history's door because of a symptom in the present. Consider the history student, the root, the foundation, the seed of all history, history itself in training, choosing to study the past, desiring to pass it on, a passion, a pain, a symptom emerged from life experience. Why do they choose their subject? Why do they choose to study the Holocaust, or the French Revolution, or plagues and pandemics, or presidents, or slavery? They have an itch, a passion, a pain, a symptom, something magnetic that draws them towards it. A symptom might be a fear, a fear of war, a fear of revolution, a fear of dictatorship and despotism that leads us to try and illuminate what happened in the past so as to inoculate us in the present. It's a belief that the study of this is needed now. But the symptom is where it begins. There are very literal analogies for history being an illness too. Not so long ago, pains were believed to be treated with cures with long historical precedent. Crowds of thousands would line the streets of Paris to receive the royal touch from the king, who, because of his divine right, his connection with God, could heal their sicknesses. Louis XVI, quite a modern king, overthrown by the French Revolution, touched thousands of his lined-up subjects at his coronation in 1775. Physicians believed in bloodletting, leeches in the rectum, consulting the idea of the four humours, that a person's dry character led to a dry body, illness caused by dryness needed a wet treatment, cold illness was treated with warmth, and vice versa. There were reasons for all these cures that came from the past. To return to Nietzsche, can regressive traits be found lurking in our definitions of good? Poisons, narcotics, so that the present lived at the expense of the future. Are our treatments for life worse than the disease? Where else do we find cures that are worse than the sickness? We look for symptoms. In the pain and loneliness of prison, in hunger, in fatigue, in a painful feeling of disgust. 
Jews during Nazi Germany, the accidental touch of a black American during Jim Crow, in the words of politicians, in the stress of always being online, the anxiety of social media. Symptoms are everywhere, and we often medicate symptoms instead of investigating them. Western medicine, many have criticised, is patient-centric. It treats the symptom by focusing on the biological pain of the patient rather than the deeper cause. It over-prescribes, plastering over wider individual and societal issues. This is especially true with mental health. Many sociologists of mental health, doctors and scientists, argue for a broadening of diagnoses outwards. Is anxiety, for example, a biological problem, a genetic deficiency, or a symptom of how an individual interacts with the wider world, itself defined by cultural, social, political, or economic context? Is it, in other words, a product of history? Anxiety and stress are, of course, relatively new conditions. Ideas like hysteria or neurosis preceded them, but anxiety, for example, as an idea, only emerged in the early 20th century, a particular historical construction, the product of a modern world, popularised by people like Freud and philosophers like Heidegger. In his 1950 book, The Meaning of Anxiety, Rollo May wrote that every alert citizen of our society realises, on the basis of his own experience as well as observation of his fellow men, that anxiety is a pervasive and profound phenomenon in the 20th century. To understand a symptom, we must go deeper and wider. The Hearing Voices Network, a charity founded by psychiatrists to support people who hear voices, recommends that instead of asking what's wrong with you, doctors and therapists should begin with what's happened to you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Anxiety, stress, depression, overwork, heart problems, PTSD, eating disorders, issues that lead to physical symptoms aren't just individual problems but public ones, arising from our common culture, our historical threads. There are biological markers 
feelings, complaints, aches, pains, symptoms. But unlike, say, a broken bone, their cause lies somewhere outside, somewhere else, somewhere out there in the world. Physical symptoms can need metaphysical diagnoses, as Anne Rogers and David Pilgrim write in their Introduction to the Sociology of Mental Health. In the case of mental health problems and their management, the complex reality of the economic, socialization and welfare systems is relevant to understanding them. The economic system generates stressors and profits from its amelioration. The socialization system determines the adoption of social norms during childhood and offers corrective interventions of secondary socialization if these norms are transgressed in adulthood. Many, like Rogers and Pilgrim, have argued for an expanded view of what's called etiology, the search for fundamental causes or the set of causes of a medical condition, from just individual causes outwards to societal ones as well. Follow the symptom. If we live symbiotically with history, if it's part of us, like bacteria in our guts, like a cultural meme, how do we analyse it? A biologist would isolate a symptom, ask what's causing it, why is it there, what's its purpose, where does it lead, is its cause environmental, genetic, follow the chain of clues, everything has a wider genealogy. Every habit we have was inserted into our historical consciousness by someone, by some group, by some cultural belief. Why did they do it? What mistakes were made? What assumptions did they have? I come back to E.H. Carr's formulation often because it's deceptively simple, yet it says so much. The historian approaches the facts like fish on a fishmonger's slab, but, crucially, the facts speak only when they're called upon. In other words, the calling upon, the formulation of questions, happens way before the writing of the history. Before history is uncovered, questions must be asked of it. And those questions come from everyone's symptoms. We all contribute, in small ways, to the historical process. You watching, liking, subscribing to this video is an act of history. Googling, choosing a book, signalling our interest, bestseller lists and view counts, having a conversation with a friend, commenting, when each of us asks questions of history, we contribute to its processes. In other words, history isn't just about historians. We all need to control the present, to control the past, to control the future. We all need to ask the questions. Which is why I'm still, despite a lot at the moment, optimistic about the direction of the internet. Simple tools, the mouse, the keyboard, the camera, the podcast, 
They all contribute to democratising history. The idea of history as an illness is that everyone has symptoms. History can be elitist. Royal history was the most popular in the past, or the history of warfare, then politics and politicians, because those were the people and the issues that establishment figures were contending with and mattered to their lives. It's only really in the last century, decades, and in some cases years, that historians have started to look outwards and downwards. History from below, working class history, LGBTQ plus history, and so on. History needs to become more inclusive. We should all contribute. Which is why I love this platform. If you have a symptom, an itch, scratch it. Search for its roots. Denormalize what we think of as being normal. Grief, sadness, depression, stress, anxiety, bullying, racism, prison, confinement, loneliness, war, domination, they're all symptoms. History is an illness. We must all cure it. Thank you as always for watching, and a huge thanks of course, as always, to my Patreons, without which this just wouldn't be possible. So if you want to see scripts, if you want to chat in the Discord server, if you want your name in the credits, but most of all, if you just want to help support make this content, then click the link in the description below. If not, you can like, you can share, you can leave a comment, all those things that help the algorithm. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.